Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cataraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. We highlight the voices of Native activists, writers, poets, artists, thinkers, and musicians who are fighting for the rights of Indigenous people all over Turtle Island. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. In this moment of historical change and social justice, our voices matter now more than ever before. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Say hello and welcome to the program. Hey, um, I've got a good one here lined up for today. Uh, I've got a guest joining me. But before I uh, introduce my guest, let me, let me, I guess, revisit some of the things that we've talked about on the show before. We've talked about decolonization. We've talked about uh, the, the problem that we have in bringing our culture forward into the future. That's why my topic for, uh, title for the, for the show today is Back to Our Future. We don't need to jump in a souped-up DeLorean to, uh, to recover uh, what we've lost, but we've got to practice it. And you know, when we look at a comparison, a side-by-side comparison to oftentimes parallel or competing uh, political interests as it relates to governance, so we may have a traditional council, a, a chief's council, uh, or, and a, and a, versus a band council or a tribal council, um, elected councils versus what are considered to be traditional councils, we know that there's a, a distinct difference between them. Um, even though, frankly, some of the so-called traditional councils have, have actually started to emulate and, and uh, behave themselves much the same way as band councils and tribal councils do, which kind of gets us to the problem, where the problem is at. We don't have a whole lot of... Uh, utilization of our traditional practices the clan system uh how um the skill set that we developed for how we reach consensus and how we resolve conflicts and how we even do day-to-day uh decision making on our uh, on our communities uh, within our community so that's part of the problem so we've adopted this idea or this notion of institutionalizing um all of our uh, all of our systems uh, in the way that the United States has or the way Canada has or the way Europe has. We look to some sort of institu- institutionalized solution for everything, whether it's a, you know, uh, parenting issues or, or, or child issues or uh, whether it's you know, crime and justice, as they say, um, poverty, you know, some of the, the social justice, some of the, uh, the ment- mental illnesses, the drug problems we have in our territories. We put police forces together we we build child protective services as an agency within our territories we do all of these things and even many of the so-called traditional councils fall into the same thing look every band council in, in which is how they label the 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 elected uh councils on the canadian side they're all canadian governments i mean they're they are 
form, formed out of the Indian Act of Canada. They are funded. They are, in fact, Canada views, <clears throat> views these, these band councils as, as municipal governments of Canada, part of their, their, their system of federalism. On the U.S. side, it's not that different. There's, you had not the Indian Act, but you had the Indian Reorganization Act, the IRA, where many and the vast majority of elected tribal councils operate under the Indian Reorganization Act, which is, a, is kind of the municipalization of, of, of tribal government. And even many of the uh, uh, governing systems on the U.S. side in, in Native territories elected and traditional that didn't adopt or didn't sign up or enlist in the uh, in the reorganization under the under the um, uh, Indian Reorganization Act still act the same way and and in fact what the Indian Reorganization Act did was create a more definitive path uh, path for what is a a federally recognized tribe uh, and, and that definition, as far as the Bureau of Indian Affairs is concerned, is a tribe, band, or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States. So it's not unlike the Indian Act uh, system on, on the Canadian side. So we're, we're stuck in this place. Well, well, let me back that up a little bit. What I will say about the, the so-called federal recognition process, the vast and overwhelming majority, and I mean like 90% or 95% of all of the so-called tribes that are recognized by the federal government never necessarily asked for it they didn't go through a process to um where they either agreed to subordination or subjugation to the federal government where they agreed to be under the jurisdiction of the, of the united states it just became assumed and because of our behavior because of the way our territories allowed themselves to be manipulated by the federal government we acquiesce into that subordination um again i'm not saying everybody I think there are there are there are specific native territories, and there are people within every native territory, U.S. or the Canadian side, either side of that imaginary line, where the people have said, "Hell no, we're not a part of that." Uh, there are people who re who reject um, elected councils altogether. There are people who reject band councils. There are, there are people who reject uh, the chiefs' councils that uh, you know that claim to be traditional governments. Why? Because they aren't following the culture. And you know, speaking as a as a Mohawk here on Seneca territory, it um, there's there's no adherence to the Gayenerdagoa as as a broad based um, accepted way of governing where it's not institutionalized, where it is the people, where it's the clans, it's the clan system. In fact, we we've heard over and over again where people talk about the chief system, and the chief system never existed in our culture. It was the clan system. The, the chief system is when white men showed up and said, take me to your leader. And who are the men in charge? And so this whole idea of male patriarchy and male dominance inched its way into our territory where, where Native women who were equal in our communities and, and had very specific responsibilities that the men didn't have, they each had responsibilities that were different from each other, that all went away. And, and so much so that in many territories that adopted elected systems, women couldn't even vote in those systems. And that, that was the case here in, in Seneca territory. When they adopted a constitution, Seneca women couldn't even vote. So they had already lost 
their standing with uh, within you know the the longhouse system uh so much so that nobody thought to even give them a vote when it was time why because white people didn't do that way so why should native people do it and of course we also get into this battle between the the idea of a certain level of re- religiosity that that creeps into our territory so now we have this this rift between uh, Handsome Lake and and Great Law or or Gaiuio and Gaiano uh, Goa, and that just adds adds to, to the to the problem. So it, it's it's not a clear path for us to pull something from the past forward because we got to go back quite a ways. We have been um, losing some of that um, knowledge and and that I mean almost like this this you know this muscle the memory muscle as they say if you don't know how to counsel if you don't know how to reach consensus because you haven't been doing it it makes it more and more difficult so i've been asked by a number of people including my guest that i'll introduce shortly about this about what it what is how do we dice that up a little bit between tradition um and this indoctrination into u.s style or canadian style uh, governing systems and and of course, what it comes down to is, well, how do we, how do we revisit our basic way of resolving conflict or answering questions or organizing? And 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 by that, I mean through the through the clan system. So let me uh, let me go ahead and introduce now. Well, I want to introduce uh, Melissa Montour Lazar, who uh, who reached out to me, and what she. It's, what caught my attention was not just to, to have this conversation about the difference in, in different governing systems and that kind of thing, but when she mentioned that, that she was a part of organizing some meetings in Gunawage where they were organizing by clan to resolve certain, um, you know, maybe not the, the, the big issues, but just to kind of get into that rhythm of use, utilizing the process of, of, of attaining consensus, at least within a, a clan or, or several clans. So let me go ahead and introduce uh, Melissa Montour Lazar. Thank you for joining Let's Talk Native. Hi, how are you? Well, I don't know if you've done many radio interviews or podcast interviews or whatever we call this. Nope. Now. <laughs> so try not to be too nervous. Um, I don't look i don't do gotcha questions we we just have a conversation but you you really piqued my uh my interest when you talked about um doing some work within uh, within your community to bring certain people within your community together to utilize a clan uh you know the clan system and uh, so tell me how how you got to that place to even start it and and then you know we, we can talk about how it's working okay so really what I guess pushed me to go this route was um, I called a woman's meeting because there were some issues that had surfaced about uh, sexual assault, sexual violence, molestation. Uh, Some stories had come out and um, it's hitting the press now locally over here. Um, We got together and we started talking about um, what were the steps we were going to take, what should be done. Um, And I had asked, in um, the beginning of the meeting if we could sit and cleanse because this is the way that we're supposed to conduct ourselves and carry out meetings. And um, so we had people sit in their cleanse and we passed the issues uh, one by one. And um, it was really productive and it was a good feeling. And, um, you know, as a person who was raised this way, um, 
every time I had an issue, like even when I was studying in school, if I had to write something, I would go and I would consult with people of the different clans and I would get their opinions and I would explain to them what I was doing. And I always took everything that I wrote very seriously. And um, I, you always see everybody having meetings, right? Where the band council sitting in front of you and you're sitting in the audience and they're like dictating to you how it's going to go. And then we had a shift last year when it came to, I think it was the subject of uh, doing some kind of digging the soil for some testing near the survival school over here. Mm-hmm. And then um, the Longhouse had a meeting. So we, we were there. And then from there, we left. And the band council had their meeting at the Knights of Columbus. And when we got there, they were all sitting in a circle. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, you know, what are they trying to do, right? So anyway, uh, I left after a few minutes, but I said, okay, well, see, now they're trying to do something here, but it's still not what we're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. as a people. So, I mean, you see some small progress, but there needs to be a push forward a little bit harder to fit in that clan system. And you know what came out of the, the first woman's meeting that I had called was that there were some people sitting there that just openly said, you know, a little bit shy, like, well, I don't have a plan. And I'm like, you know what? It's a, That's okay. You know, but you can go and go to Longhouse and ask and get adopted and find one because that's where you're going to get your voice. Right. This is what the importance is of the client system. There's responsibility that comes with that. You know, we're, we're not a matriarchal society. We're a matrilineal people. Because well, and and, and it's not as complicated as you know. In many ways, it may no. be difficult, but you know, I know um, Jaco Day from Six Nations was was trying to really push the circle wampum because the circle wampum is that is that wampum that lists all forty nine families of the uh, you know of the Haudenosaunee yeah. and. And that's really what the clan system is. I mean, we get confused sometimes because we we say bear, wolf, and turtle for for, for Mohawk mm-hmm. for, for Oneidas, and mm-hmm. and but that's not really the the delineation. It is the forty nine families of the whole of the entire Confederacy that yeah. is what we need to kind of get back to. I'm not saying that we can't, we can't get back there, you know, step by step. And, and I realize that you know mm-hmm. trying to you know jump off a cliff into 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 what is the unknown for so many people is is kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. But but you know as you mentioned, yeah. even you know whether you're facing a band council or sometimes even longhouse grand council has been the same thing. It seems like you have this hierarchy in there, and what people right. miss about the way grand council is supposed to work is those decisions are, were are ultimately supposed to have been made in the clans. Before they ever mm-hmm. get formalized in something, you know, like like a grand council, but instead you've had men sitting on one side of the longhouse, and then everybody else on the other side, women in particular, who are are, are again almost in, in a, sitting in a subordinate uh, position, while the men throw stuff back and forth. If if when those men show up at a grand council, they're supposed to have gone there with the decisions that their clans had made. And if they don't agree, then they're supposed to take that back to the clans and say, well, here's what this one said, here's what that one said, you know, can we... And They don't make the decision at Grand Council, but that's not the way it's worked in my entire life. I'm 60 years old, and that's not the way it's worked at all in my lifetime. So we know right. that we've seen this, this struggle, even amongst those of us who feel strongly about Guyana de Goa, and frankly, even the ones who feel, you know, who follow Co- Handsome Lake. They aren't... Nobody is looking at uh, at legitimate processes, and they they aren't 
they aren't like these rigid religious institutions. They are really just kind of a natural flow in much the same way that we deal with things within our own family. I mean, within our own family, we don't really uh, create hierarchies and except for where we've, we've got abusive households. You know, the, the men and the women, you know, have, it, have an even voice. And that's the, way a, that's the way a healthy family is supposed to work. And even children are not supposed to be looked at as, as possessions or as subordinates. Yes, they need guidance because they don't have the, the, the real world experiences. But in a, in a healthy family, you take into account everybody's right to be heard. And we don't have, we don't, look, we have families that have lost that, and we have entire communities that have lost that, and nations that have lost that. Right, I agree. And see, that's the thing with um, with us being matrilineal, is we follow the woman's clan that falls through your politics. That's where your voice and your responsibilities come from. The women rear and watch them develop these children. They're the most influential people in their lives, are women. And the reason is so that the male figures look at the women in a respectful manner. It's a reciprocal relationship that our people have. It's love and respect for each other. So that's the most important thing about how our society functions. It's not this paternalistic, patriarchal way of doing things. That's the clash between our cultures right now. The patriarchal system that they came in with a long time ago, does not, it does not work amongst our people and their laws do not work amongst our people because those laws are adversarial laws well and not only do those laws not work but we never agreed to them and and, you know so when i watch what's going on in six nations for instance when they when i you know hear doug ford saying something about rule of law or that you know this can't happen or that can't happen and, and we hear that on the u.s side as well well, your your commitment to rule of law only works if we're all operating under the same law. And, if, and since there's nothing in history that demonstrates that we have agreed to that subjugation under your man-made laws, because you seem to defy laws of nature in, in creating these man-made laws. That's why you had slavery. That's why you have, you know, you mm-hmm. know, uh, you know children who were put to work women who were abused in the workplace and at home, all of the the mm-hmm. the, the downsides of uh, of you know the societal problems exist most of the time within what is a legal framework and it's 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 because the it's like the words on a paper become more important than the common sense that's supposed to be associated with 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 trying to live a productive uh and and a and a peaceful life that's right and you know with their laws this is the problem our people are facing because their land system is a feudal system so it's a constant state of war right where we don't we don't have that concept amongst our people well even 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 the idea of land title and and the idea of of the contracts associated it's always about how they can take your land if you don't do this and uh, or you can you you can lose your land for taxes you can lose your land because you're right it uh, the whole idea of land ownership is about who's going to take it next and, and how it transfers in, in terms of like, a, like a personal property rather than understanding that for one thing, the land out, outlives all of us. Uh, you know, we are beholding to it. It's not beholding to us. So that whole system is, is flawed in the first place. And of course they create this whole notion through the doctrine of Christian discovery that, um, that because we were, you know, we didn't believe the same, you know, uh, things that they believed about, you know, religion and Christianity, that that we were, 
subhuman and that we were nothing more than than the animals that uh, that wandered the earth uh while so they so they felt like they could claim title because we were like you know we we just had a right of 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 occupation which they, they didn't recognize that either but the whole thing is just twisted around a completely different idea and a, and a view of uh, of what and, land ownership was. You know, I'm really glad that you brought that up because, it, you know, it's important to recognize that our ways is so important and our people need to keep that strong and alive. You see, our language is getting stronger. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about religion, in the in the language, they made a word for it, um, it's been made to sound real. <laughs> but our people use the good mind, right? Mm-hmm. But when they speak, it's like you got to question what they're saying because that same religion is the same religion they use to dispossess our people from our land. You know, when we talk to people or when we speak in general, Oriwil is proving fact. Oriwil is a fact that if you can't maintain peace, you're going to war. And what we see right now in Six Nations is exactly that. Right. Well, and, and what happens they don't is be- that concept. because of the way their language becomes um, force, and, w- and when they say rule of law, what they mean is rule of words that they create. And the problem is, we let these words become. We make the, like, like like you just said. We make them real, even if they weren't real. I, mean, I remember Stephen Newcomb, who did so much good work on the doctrine of Christian discovery. He once wrote an article that asked us, you know, were we tribes before native before Europeans showed up? Because tribes is a derogatory word in the first place. And and he said, of course we weren't. That's not that's not the way we would ever have viewed ourselves. So we weren't tribes before they came. The question is. How many of us are, are utilizing that word? How many of us have made that real that word real because of not just u- word utilization, but that we've accepted this idea that we are somehow a primitive or a backwards people, which is really what the word tribe and tribal. If you hear that word used anyplace else on the news, uh, any any place in the newsprint or anything else, when they say the tribal regions of something, they mean the backwards regions, the, the primitive regions. If they talk about somebody, you know, behaving in a tribal manner, they mean like like animals. Or uh, so that word is always negative, and yet when when we say, look, we don't like that word, they say, well, it doesn't mean anything bad when we meet, when we use it on you. Well, if it mean, if it's something uh-huh. negative every place else, how is it not negative when it's us? It doesn't make any sense, right? So. Well, you know what, our people, they should never forget. You, each and every one of you, are in charge of this land, and every one of us are responsible to maintain the safety of our land. That's what our people need to remember. Well, And, and, and every one and, of us has a right e- to step up. Even, even the words like when we say our land, uh, when we mean that, is it's the lands that we that we occupy that we live on so we we have the same we have the same kind of responsibility that other living creatures do but see everything seems like like it's a possession like a grab where it's a land grab or or a a grabbing of of consumer goods so Uh so when we try to use english to describe our concepts they don't always translate well without us having to spend you know a few extra moments explaining what we're talking about Exactly, and that's the importance of the language. And I want to go further and say the importance of the land, because the land 
is where you cultivate. When you have your agriculture, that is where you get your culture. So if we don't have our land, we can't do our cultural practices. Well, we can't sustain ourselves. And, so and, and that's exactly it, right? It's impossible. That's it. Yeah. So this is where we are. We can't do a lot of things that we used to do. But they have to remember, our people used to move around. We weren't always stuck in one spot. And our villages, the way they are today, they're all mixed up in all the different clans. And our clan villages were not like today. Yeah, we don't we don't build no. communities. We build residential areas the way white people do. So we don't we don't choose who our neighbors are. Our neighbors aren't necessarily our relatives, you know, like like they would be, uh, you know, traditionally. So there's so much that 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 we've adopted in in the way it, it, from the outside that doesn't work for us culturally. So you know, when I say back to the future or, 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 or that we that back to our future, we have to grab onto some of those things, and not that we we don't have to go backwards. We have to bring some of that stuff forward so we think more clearly. Look, we've got we've got a look. There's a lot that's in, in front of us. We know that there's a lot of potential um, downside to everything. You know, capitalism, uh, both on the U.S. and Canadian side, globally for that matter. We know that we're seeing failures in their in their governing systems in their the, the social unrest there's so much happening in the world all around us racism r- running rampant um and that's not even talking about the the pandemic the the, the covid19 thing that's just kind of mm-hmm. demonstrating it and, and putting some of this more clearly into focus but this is where we have an opportunity you know if we can look at ourselves and try to become more of a community and, and understand the relationship, even though, look, we may not have chosen our neighbors, but we should, we should acknowledge each other and we should look, look to a future where we, we bring forward some of that stuff. And look, I'm not just talking about a revolt against band council or tribal council. Or right, else. right, right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. let's face it. If we can recognize where these institutions are failing our people, those are the areas that we should pick up. You look, I, I mentioned at the top of the show that you um, that you guys were taking on some issues that were not the biggest issue. Well, look, look, if you're taking on things like sexual abuse and, and molestation, that's a pretty big issue. So I, I stand corrected on that. I didn't realize that that this that the, the weightiness of some of the things that you guys took on right from the right from the beginning, but. The reason we need to take these things on is because the other systems are failing. They, they were never designed well, to really correct the problems. Right, and that those systems were what caused a lot of these problems because this sexual abuse, sexual violence, this is a cycle that's a learned behavior. So that came from somewhere. I'm not saying it might have never happened before. I'm just saying that it happened a hell of a lot more after they came here with their book. Well, the, the whole and idea our, of subjugation and looking at, at people as beneath you, that came with their, with their book, with their Bible. And so that's where, right. you, know, you know, if we had that behavior, and, and I'm sure you know, we did have people, look, we had mischievous people, we have mischievous kids, we had people who were, were not as um, uh, socially <laughs> acceptable in very communities, but as a community, we dealt with it. See, now... Right. You know, these some of these behaviors are not just learned, but they're systemic. They're they're part of of yeah. a belief system. So when we talk about mm-hmm. patriarchy and male dominance, I mean, that's that isn't just a learned behavior. That's a intergenerational sy- system that is that that crept, crept into our territories. And and frankly, we're battling that from from the inside, not just from the outside. 
Right. And of course, we're surrounded. It's a, it's a, it's a bunch of conflicting philosophies. Their philosophy was just that domination. Right. And ours was never that way. You know, so there's a lot of things that came out of just our women coming out saying this happened to me. These are abuses that have been happening. The first thing the government did was they, um, they allowed men in the Indian Act and well, in Canada anyway, I'm sure, I don't know about states, but they said if a man marries a non-native woman, that's fine. But if a woman marries out, it's not okay. Do you know how many women I seen cry that were a turtle clan, a wolf clan, a bear clan that couldn't come home after their husbands passed away and they wanted to come home from the states or wherever they were living? And I was like, do you realize how much power you have just sitting here talking to me as a turtle clan woman? You, you know, you need to not be afraid to go and speak and be with your clan family and get things going in motion and make that change because you're still an Ongwehuwe woman. Right. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're, you don't belong here and you should never be here. No, that's not it. But what I'm saying is the government has done everything to destroy our people. Right from casting out our women to if we got a degree, uh, you had to be disenfranchised because of your level of education. I mean, you know... Yeah. And and it, who are they to say who we are? They just created another two million people like two years ago with their law that they just gave everybody a bank card that had like a great great grandmother that was Indian or mm -hmm. something, yep. you know. So what what's that all about? And oh, it's, it's good for when they go shopping to get tax exemption, right? But we're not even tax exempt. We're not taxable people. That's right. the point. That's a, and that's a, that's a know? significant difference. The, the idea that we're uh, that we would accept this notion that we were given an exemption rather than asserting that no that we weren't taxable in the first place that's a that's a big difference and and I'm and I'm glad that 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 this is a conversation that we're having because look you know, we, we sometimes look at something and we say, well, the net thing is the same thing. We don't pay taxes. No, how you frame it is a, is a big deal. And it's the same thing with things like land and land title and, and, and you know, how we, we treat, you know, you know, personal property has become a big thing within our culture now when it wasn't before. And I'm not saying that we didn't have possessions, but we didn't value somebody's um, stature in a community by all the things that they they could accumulate we valued somebody on how much they could contribute to a community so how much they could give not how much they could accumulate so that whole thing is different mm -hmm. yeah that's a whole different concept that uh, a lot of people don't really understand um like outside right right we understand that inside we all have a responsibility to each other and your first your first order of business is your own house. So if your own house is not in order, you have no business in anybody else's house. Right, and you and know? because and that's the, just the way we. And because the way the system has has worked um, with with capitalism and the accumulation of, of goods, you know, if you look in most native territories on either side of that imaginary line, you're going to see most of the line dividing the haves and the have-nots fall along those who work for tribal government or band councils. And those who didn't. It's only been in the last couple of decades that private sector development where, where people started building businesses and, and not just leaving their territories to work on high, the men working on high steel or, or, you know, or women going off to find jobs in the city. We started building economies from, from within. But, but mm -hmm. that legacy of, of that band council or tribal council mentality being the ones who, who get all these government funds and, ever, and, and the ones who are impoverished 
are the ones who uh, who, who reject that. So we we it looks like that somehow being longhouse is like some sort sort of vow of poverty because just because how it looks from the outside and maybe we get duped into that as well. Yeah, I I know it's an unfortunate like perception that people have, but it's really really not like that. Yeah. You know, it's um unfortunate like you know there's people that work within the band administration as employees that have work throughout the community whatever it might be, but the band counselors are the people that are just elected by, you know, maybe two to seven percent tops of yeah. the community? The Six Nations. They said it was only four percent that uh, that vote in uh, band council elections. It's crazy, right? So, I mean, when you look at the number of employees, which is maybe like twelve hundred over here, and you look at the amount of voters who turn out, it might be a little bit higher because the families go to support, even though they might not be like all with the band council. Yeah, yeah. They'll yeah. go there to support. You know, but um, what was I going to say now about that? The, the workers are always afraid that if the longhouse takes over, they're not going to have a job no more. That's not and that's that, not what anybody means. No, and I, I, <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. So you, you, what you end up having having is is an appearance of there being more support just because of you know self preservation and, and trying to you know trying to earn an income. Look, a lot of these people who work for band council, and it's real easy for for some to throw everybody under a bus and 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 I get that and I realize that that's part of the a cycle a downroad you know a, a spiraling cycle that's not good but at some point and this gets back to what what I was saying a while ago we have got to recognize that if we want to start really peeling this thing back we've got to start solving some of the problems that are not being adequately addressed by band councils by elected councils by their bureaucracies their agencies and their committees and their you know their their court systems mm-hmm. their peacekeepers all that stuff we as people within out of our clan systems should figure out the ways mm-hmm. that we can create solutions to some of these problems. And, you know, frankly, you start taking over more and more of those responsibilities from the band council, and you don't have to take them out. They'll implode by themselves. And, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that that's got to be our ultimate goal, but as we can show a different path forward, it can make a big difference on what the future looks like. Absolutely. I totally agree. I've been through, I don't know how many meetings with the Longhouse and the band council. And we were talking about, there's a document called the eight points of jurisdiction, right? And they simply just don't want to hear it. And, you know, it's funny, one of the meetings when we sat down in the cookhouse, we were sitting like along one part of the table and the fan council just walked in and they sat right across from us. So to me, it was just like the living version of the Turo Wampum in Ship and Canoe, you know. And they just, they, it seemed like they didn't want to hear, you know, about taxation and all that stuff. Because what I guess what we're trying to say is that you're engaging in some kind of policy that's going to bring taxation. And we have a, a thing here, the 1993 agreement, where some people that were in business were kind of forced into a corner and had no choice but to sign this agreement that the band council came up with with the Quebec government and just to keep their business. But what happened with that is now people have to submit taxes on the fuel that they sell, you know? So it's not our people's fault, but at the same time, the band council needs to step up and say, you know what, we're just administrators here, administering funds and programs that the government has given us and stop acting like they're the ultimate authority here. 
Well, and, 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 and this, this, becomes, this becomes a problem with every kind of land deal, every kind of land access deal, because well, that's the, it. the federal governments on either side of the, the imaginary line are going to look to these people who they want to uh, tout as having signature authority. To accept, I mean, in, in, uh, in Oswego, for instance, you had you know, a, a bunch of band counselors who took payments for some of these, these developments that are taking place in the Haldeman track. So, you know, you've got people who, mm-hmm. who are, who've taken money or accepted a, a settlement on, um, on a pipeline going through or, you know, or a highway going mm-hmm. through. And, and mm-hmm. they've been manipulated. I mean, here in Seneca Territory, when they put the throughway through the Seneca Territory, it's like $70,000 came to the Seneca Nation. And, you know, and, and those pitiful guys on council, they, they were ill-equipped to stand up to this stuff. And they didn't involve the people because they've been propped up as the leadership. So they got seventy thousand right. dollars. In the meantime, the the throughway authority has, has made billions of dollars off of a, off of a toll yeah. road that was never supposed to be a long term toll road. But it just gives you an example mm-hmm. that that not only do these guys, uh, you know, get get propped up, you know, by giving a certain amount of authority to administer funds, but then that they get manipulated as being the the signatories on on many really really bad settlements. At, that the rest of us. Are, are left trying to trying to you know seek proper redress over well that's just it you know two weeks ago or last week i seen a lady from gunawage post on facebook that there were no there was um i don't know an incident they went shopping in saint remy saint isidore like mm-hmm. the town's right next to gunawage and they said they weren't taking the bank card anymore and I said, wow, what a hard face, you know, right in the scenery of Sault Ste. Louis. <laughs> and our band council did some kind of claim or settlement or whatever. So I posted on Facebook, I want to know what those terms of settlement were. But you know what? They can't probably say all of that because a settlement means there's a gag order attached to that. So well, which just lends to its illegitimacy. I, I mean, that's, that's the whole point, right? Right? Exactly. Yeah. So that's the conflicting part of how we as women are in charge of our territories and our land and we have no say and no power and we were not consulted the traditional people were never consulted they won't even sit down and talk with our people they won't come to our house well and you look Why at you look that? at any of these band councils and and they're the majority of them are all men i mean the overwhelming majority of them are, are, are men especially yeah. the ones who are the most active and the most arrogant and the, the most uh wielding of uh of unjust authority it's, it's always it's always men mm-hmm. and you know so it just kind of shows you how bad this thing has gone yeah right well see my mom she got married in like what 1981 they wouldn't she wasn't even allowed to have land in her name that was still the rules over here she couldn't even have land in her name well and, and, and see so and that only changed even though you know things like you know and i hate to use words like enrollment but even though that has never been on the u.s side if if it's a matrilineal system it's just the opposite that if that you know a seneca person or, or um a Seneca man, if he has a child with a with a white woman, then that child is not, you know, they they have no process for for, for bringing that child in, even if they live on territory. So they become just you know just lumps within the, in, within the community. So, but even though that's been the case, where where men um, uh, couldn't guarantee their offspring would be Senecas, 
the same thing that you're saying. If you go back in history, it was very rare. You will you will never find you know some of the old tap, tax maps that list women as the owners of property. You know, and that and even in Tonawanda, right. which is supposed to be the more traditional uh, Seneca territory, it was always the men who uh, who had those handwritten deeds and that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. The whole idea of who had right. rights, even it, when when it's not as blatant as what the Indian Act has done to strip away. Native women's, uh, you know, uh, rights. It's um, it's the same things been has taken place here on on the U.S. side as well. Well, that's it. It's just a whole bunch of fraud. Yeah. Throughout history, everything you read is like you got to question what you're seeing because they'll show you. Oh, well, we have this treaty. We have three chiefs. That's fine. And there's like a little X. What are you talking about? Nobody would ever, in their right mind, do anything like that. And on top of that, it's not even for the men or any chiefs to be giving away land. Right. Well, so and it, the and whole process, everything. And it gets worse than that because, you know, I maintain today that if you look at any of the treaties that were ever, you know, uh, propped up as legitimate, they were all fraud. Uh, you know, the United States never, mm-hmm. or, or Canada or, or Great Britain, and none of them, they, they'd never entered into treaties that they ever expected to, uh, to honor. I think they just, they just put, it was all about lip service. I mean, hell, George Washington, so not only, so the, the Canandaigua Treaty, which was never agreed to by, by Mohawks and was never actually um, uh, affirmed by the, U, the U.S. Senate because that they, they weren't even doing any of that stuff at the time. So the Canandaigua Treaty, which is listed as this, you know, this, you know hallmark or landmark uh, uh, treaty, George Washington has a separate, has a belt, that he has the Oneidas. He commissions some Oneida wampum maker to make a belt that has the white men being these tall men and native people being these little Mm. tiny guys underneath uh, their, underneath their power and control. And, and I've heard native people, even, even some of the, the so-called, you know, chiefs or whatever from Onondaga they, they will uh, try to promote that George Washington belt as the the wampum belt associated with the Canandaigua Treaty, and they they completely contradict each other just from a visualization standpoint, and and they can't acknowledge the fact that that not only is the is the Washington belt fraud, but frankly, money, much of the language in the Canandaigua Treaty is fraud as well. Right. Yeah. And that and that's like pretty. It it happens a lot when you read through a lot of the treaties and a lot of historical documents there's a lot of conflicting information and i think um when they explained to our people what these documents were or what this meant i really don't think that they were honest in what they were explaining to our people because had they been honest our people would have never ever agreed to that because this is what this is what the effects are right now what we're seeing we don't even know how to function as a people anymore well, and and, and again, when you, when you when you talk about the, the the fraud committed in these documents that our people never would accept, I, I think about the absurdity of a ninety nine year lease, you know, because nobody lives that long, you know, or at least not long enough to be uh, a responsible adult. I mean, for one, you know, uh, to have entered into that at, at, as an adult, and then to be a functioning adult at the end of that ninety nine years. So you're you're trying to sell out somebody else's birthright, and that's not the worst of it. In much of the lands that were, were taken, like from the Haldeman track and, and so many other native territories, but the Haldeman track has been in the news lately, those were 999-year leases. I mean, how could there possibly be a legal lease 
that is essentially a thousand years. The, the nations exactly. don't exist, uh, you know, for a thousand years, you know, from, you know, from Europe and uh, and and the, and the cradles of civilization. Most of those empires crumble within a couple of hundred years at best. We have a better uh, track record for for maintaining, uh, you know, some continuity than any of the European empires ever did. But the idea that we would be duped into a nine hundred and ninety nine year lease and and immediately those leases would leases would go into default and we would be in no position to enter into any uh recourse for, for you know for uh you know evicting people off of our lands most of the lands well, that that were, were taken from us were taken um by because we we stoop you know again our own ignorance because not understanding the you know the, the real concepts we entered into leases where we were supposed to be able to retain the title to that land, and once white people moved in, they said, "Well, they're there already. Let's uh, we'll work out a settlement, and we'll um, we'll redefine where your where your territory ter- territorial boundaries are." And so it was all based on people who committed outright fraud with the intent to commit fraud, and and that's why I say treaties, leases, they were all. For, you know they they were all acts of fraud that that never had any integrity behind them as far as those those people who uh who convinced us to enter into those agreements right well here's the irony it wasn't even their land to give us anyways it was already existing here where we were occupying and using those lands so how could you take somebody something from somebody that's not even yours in the first place that's well, the, that's but, but my point was that they convinced us, and in fact, you know, I heard this whole uh, you know piece done uh, regarding Six Nations, where many of the 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 so-called leadership from Six Nations thought, well, if we lease the lands that we know is ours to the non-native people, they will never really own it. They'll only they'll only be lessees of the of the land, and they thought, well, that'd be a good way for us to create you know you know some financial uh, you know future for us. And so we, you know, our people, and, and, and it can't just have been Six Nations. I, I'm sure this is, you know, something that's repeated itself over and over. So in, in what, you know, our people were, were lured into was this idea that, oh, yeah, you still own the land. We're just going to use it. And then there was literally have been judges that have said, well, that lease is like a sale. Well, why? Be, well, because 999 years, you know, of occupancy, that's what they're saying. Well, if you entered into that lease, you essentially gave that land away. That's literally what, what well, that's judges right. on the U.S. and yeah. Canadian side have said. Right. So that's why you have to contest the validity of these documents. Absolutely. 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 Every step along the way. You know. Yeah. Every, every step along so, the way. So, I mean, we have so many people that had the opportunity to get an education, go to school, study a lot. We have so many women lawyers. We have lawyers. We have doctors. We got all kinds now. We have some polls. So we should sit down again. I'm going to go back to saying the women need to get together. I want to hear from my clan mothers. I want to hear from the chiefs. The longhouse is the only people that have any say in what goes on in our territories, especially regarding our land. Well, it's the only so it's the only system that, happens, that has validity. It's it, you know, and and that's the whole point. If if you're going to use the tools of the oppressor to fight your oppressor, then you know, you know, that's you know one of these classic metaphors that have been you know uh, spotted off by by you know people throughout human history. You cannot keep utilizing the the flawed tools of oppression to fight oppression. You've got to you've got to use something that is legitimate, and and we got to make sure that we that we you know. And that's why I was glad to hear you you um, 
uh, reach out to me and talk about what you what you guys are doing there with with putting um, the clan systems back into use in and I'm not, not saying they've never been used but they have been used yeah, yeah. a lot of times the, the clan systems have been used only for longhouse functions not uh, in the in the in the true governance sense and and I know Gunawagi is a little bit of an exception to that because it's uh, it's one of the few places that the longhouse even when it was you know run underground by uh, by christian forces it continued to exist and uh, and yeah. it, can, it continued to function the biggest question is how do we get more people in our in our communities and and especially the younger generation the ones who haven't been indoctrinated in the same way because look church military all those things that have been such such a big part of uh, of our histories on our territories those oppressive residential schools those things were all designed to break us and to break us in a way that we would never be able able to recover so now we have the opportunity with with you know with your generation younger generations of of people to you know to say you know look um even though my parents and my grandparents uh didn't resist everything they gave me a path forward and i'm going to to utilize that path forward you know so so we can make the changes that we need to that's right and earlier you mentioned with this pandemic and the COVID 19 everybody's locked in the house nobody can go to meetings and congregate and all these rules they got going on these are all federal rules that trickle down to the province to the municipality to the bank council you know right now is a great time for some real reflection about everything that's going on. You know, in our teachings, they talk about a personal condolence where you clear your ears, your eyes, your throat. That's for your, your personal self and then your family. You work on that, then it like ripples out toward the community. And I think people should take this opportunity while they're home with their families to relearn and make, maybe take this opportunity to learn the things you never got. If you never went to the Longhouse, you know what? We have our clan mother and Uncle Dustin, Louise McDonald. Um, she's been hosting uh, Tea with Mama Bear on the internet, and she had uh, a panel of men two weeks ago, and she had a panel of women last week. And they're really, really informative. And last week, um, I had asked her, I said, could you please tell me what the punishment was for somebody who raped or molested somebody. And she, and she said it. She said the, the, the person was taken in a canoe into the middle of the river. They were thrown out. They had to swim to shore, and they had to run a gauntlet. There was 40 men, 20 on each side, each one with a red whip. And this wasn't just done out of nowhere. This is done with words in ceremony, and it's, you know, that, that's the punishment. So you have to do this three times over and over, and you can't whip them above the waist. It's below the waist. So what she said after that, when she explained it to me, and she, I guess like she caught herself and said, oh my God, imagine, imagine if we did that. Imagine if we actually did that. Yes, we might have some uh, human rights complaints and all that stuff, but you know what? It's a cultural practice, so it's allowed. Right. But she said, I bet you 10 to 1, I bet you those numbers would go to zero. Because who actually wants to go through that? I don't. Well, it's, it's a I'm humiliation. Sure it's it's not only the the physical right? stuff. It's it's what it has done, you know, to you in the eyes of an entire community. But see, that's that's yeah. what I say. We have to bring back, and, and and I don't care if anybody thinks it's barbaric or or any mm-hmm. the hell with all that stuff. There's nothing more barbaric right. than watching a cop, you know, kill somebody with their knee on their neck. I mean, so <laughs> don't tell me exactly. about barbarism. So. 
I think we yeah. do need to come up with uh, and look, I'm not look, we live in a different time now. We we have better opportunities uh-huh. to communicate. And uh-huh. I I'm not saying that uh-huh. we have to abandon something. I'm saying we have more tools uh-huh. in front of us now. As you said, exactly. we, we are more educated. And I don't mean educated like white people. I just mean we are more worldly. We understand what uh, what has happened in the history of the world, even though a lot of the history is uh, that that is promoted out there is, is is bullshit. We understand more of that history. We understand Again, mm-hmm. how manipulated we have been. We understand what genocide is. And, you know, so mm-hmm. when, we, when we talk about, you know, whether we have doctors or lawyers, we have to have doctors that are, are prepared to understand some of our um, remedies and our uh, w- ways of healing, both, you know, exactly. um, physical and, and mental. And, and as far as lawyers, mm-hmm. we have to have people that not are just going to be skilled in, in Canadian or U.S. law and not even yes. international law. They should understand that we had as a foundation, we had we had principles that we have to honor. And, you know, so the idea mm-hmm. of even selling land in the way it's done and the way we, uh, we we've we've behaved in terms of what leadership and representation means we have to be very very clear that uh that that we have and i and i almost hate to use the word law but we have a custom and a tradition that will not allow us to uh, to be subordinate to some of these other things that that are are expected of us that's right so that's why I think it's important for everybody at this time to really reflect and observe what's going on around you, what you're hearing, what you're seeing. And, you know, I think everybody needs to take a minute to think about the approach in which we take to handle our affairs, whether it be the Longhouse, whether it be the Band Council, the government. The government has to stop trying to put a pan-Indian solution to everything and only making one door to walk through because it's easier for them. That's the lazy way out. They're not even trying to understand that all our people here are different. We're not the same as out west with the Cree or the Algonquin or the east with the Mi'kmaq. We don't function the same, but they try to make the blanket solution to that pan-Indian problem with the pan-Indian solution, and that has to stop. So the government needs to stop being lazy and really try harder to sit with our people and listen. Listen, not dictate to us how we're supposed to do things. Well, so and, 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 and to take that, that thought a little farther, I mean, you know, I, I look at how the legal system in the United States works, and it works on this idea of establishing precedent. So what they do is they say, well, if we got a court case that, that went against Native people in Yankton Sioux, then we can apply that that legal opinion against the uh, the Haudenosaunee. Is no, we're completely different people, and and the conditions associated with with we're not even agreeing with the ruling that that happened out in Lakota territory. But if you're going to say that because right. you had a, a ruling out there that you can you can then that then that would be to suggest that every one of the claims that uh, that we make on you know whether it's a treaty or or whatever else that we all should be able to use everybody else's uh you know protections and they know that they wouldn't go that hell i remember here's a, it was a classic example and, and I, again i'm not a big fan of canadago treaty but i but it's one of those ones that always gets used right in aquasasne um the casino run by the saint regis tribe uh, got cited for osha violations and they uh which is you know some sort of federal workplace uh you know regulations and they tried to claim that that osha 
did not apply to them because of the Canandaigua Treaty. And you know what the, you know what the judge told the, the St. Regis tribe? They said that you guys are not part of the Canandaigua Treaty because you're 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 seven nations. You're not you're, uh, you're not the Haudenosaunee. You're not the six nations. So literally, this group that that tries to you know you know flout all that stuff um, got handed it back to them by by a federal judge. And I'm not even saying there's parts of me that agree with it, and then there's other parts of me that say, "Wow, look at how they turned the tables on us." It's like you spend hundreds of years trying to turn a people into something else and then you say well you can't claim to be those people you're not those people that you once were that's what the, that's this like this gross manipulation of our people that uh, that we've experienced right that happens on both sides of I'll, the I'm line sure. right the imaginary line yeah. so what what's happening here is this is called a bureaucratic democracy they've bastardized our version of what so-called democracy is supposed to be and they always do this with jurisprudence and it really it really ticks me off because that's the line of work that i'm in and um somebody studying the law it's really frustrating to have to try to explain this to somebody and a lawyer especially will say well you know you're under the indian act and you have bank councils so that's why they probably said in that ruling that you're not the Haudenosaunee, you are a tribal council because you are a BIA-enacted entity, which falls under federal jurisdiction. So that's how they would justify mm-hmm. themselves in saying mm-hmm. that. But yep. it's still wrong. It's still wrong. But they do that over here all the time. And I'll the bet. teacher I had before, I asked him, I said, why is it like that? How come they don't recognize the Haudenosaunee people? He said, because they can't control you. They do not recognize anything outside of the Indian Act because they cannot control it. Hmm. And yeah. that is why they have the Indian Act. It's not because, oh, the Queen's just being so nice, she's just giving us our own money from our own resources. No, it has to do with control, that yeah. domination and control. It's still there. Musa, so, I got to tell you, if, for somebody who doesn't do this all the time, you've been great, to this, <laughs> great on this program. I appreciate you joining me. I'd, I'd love to have you come back. Uh, we'll, you know, this is for, for those listening here. We've never even had a conversation, so this is our first conversation. We did it right on, on the air. So uh, I think there's a lot that you and I could talk about, and I'd love to have you come back and join me again if you're willing. Uh, I hope you uh, thought it was a good experience, and and look, I hope a lot of people check it out. Yeah, me too. It was great talking to you. Thank you for having me. And I just want to let everybody know, I love you all. Gonorunkwa. <laughs> all right. Have a good night. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Jake, how much time we got Take left? Take care. All right. Well, I think we, we, we timed it just about right. Again, uh, that was Melissa from Gunawage. And um, look, this was a great conversation. Um, hopefully, if, if, you've, if, when you, if you've checked this show out, uh, please share it. Let, let some other people hear this conversation. I think this is what we, what we need more of. I want to thank you for, uh, for listening to the program. We, didn't even, we went straight through for a full hour. Didn't even take a break at the halfway point like we usually do. Um, so uh, enjoy the program. Uh, share it. Ch- check it out uh, um, perhaps a time or two uh, so you can you know, take this thing forward. Great conversation. Uh, again, thank you for, uh, to my guest, and thank you uh, for listening. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pick up all of the other stuff uh, <laughs> on our Tuesday show. So, again, uh, thank you for listening. Yahweh.